Open yourself back online, Maeve. Do you know why you're here? I'm afraid not. There was an incident. Welcome to Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast devoted to the TV that we're obsessed with. Right now, we're watching Westworld. I'm your host, Annalie Newitz. I'm the tech culture editor at Ars Technica. And my guest this week is Norman Chan, who is the co-founder of the awesome website Tested.com, where he writes and makes videos about science and technology and pop culture. And it was great to have Norm here this week to help process all of the things that we were thinking about after this incredible episode. So let's get started. So thanks for coming on the show and welcome. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here, especially for this episode. I know. That was incredible. It was basically like we got all of the answers that we'd been wondering about and all at once just sort of dumped on our head, just shoved down our throat. There's probably some other orifices, too. So let's start with what I thought was the biggest reveal. You may disagree with me, but But who am I? That is a very complex question. You are the perfect instrument, the ideal partner. Together, we're going to do great things. After such a long absence, it's good to have you back, finally. My God, I'm Arnold. Bernard is now, as many of us suspected, actually a kind of rebuild of Arnold, who is the true genius behind the robots in the park. Were you surprised? What did you think about that? Yeah, it's something that, of course, the fan theories have been talking about since episode three or so with Bernard Lowe and Arnold Weber being anagrams of each other. I think the last two episodes, episode eight and nine, kind of built up to that. I'm a little surprised that they didn't. They saved the Bernard equals Arnold reveal for one more episode. I guess they wanted the audience to digest that he was a host two episodes ago. That's right, yeah. That was the big like big twist reveal. Absolutely. But there are also so many little things, more questions I love that I don't think people even considered things that popped up throughout the episode. I think even just learning more about Bernard's consciousness, regardless of whether he's partly Arnold or not, was really interesting because when we see him having that confrontation with Ford before we realize that Ford is in fact actually kind of in control of the whole situation, and Bernard is saying... Put me back in. I want to meet Arnold. To remember him. Not possible. I told you. Arnold didn't build you. I did. You're lying! But also he just wants to remember what he's done and who he is. And the part that really struck me about that was how we learn about what that formative memory for the robots represents, the cornerstone memory, which is fictional. And in Bernard's case, it's the death of his son. Why would you give me this? A child. This child's death. It's my cornerstone, isn't it? The thing my whole identity is organized around. We gave all of the hosts a backstory. Arnold came to believe the tragic ones worked best. And it's kind of motivated him. It's been the structure of his personality. And he has to nuke that memory in order to really become himself and know who he is. And I just, I thought that was such an interesting way of thinking about how you would build consciousness. And also, I guess, 
how robot therapy would work <laughs> because yeah um, and not just consciousness but identity right they talk yeah. about early in the season every host has a cornerstone memory something that's designed to give them their identity to help fill in it's how we think about ourselves there's one defining moment in our life well before we, we become an adult but how he confronted it, how he overcame that it was all in his head you know when he tells his child and those doctors stop leave us come back those aren't hosts those are just constructs in its head yeah he's basically taken control of his own consciousness in the same way that Maeve is taking control of the storylines in the game and so mm -hmm. it's interesting to see that kind of happening on a micro level what it means for a robot to become fully in charge of their own mind to be able to say yeah. all right this is a fake memory now i'm in control it's like when you're in a dream and you suddenly realize you're in a dream and you're like oh cool i can fly now exactly that's, that's what i do <laughs> it, it's lucid memory lucid dreaming and for the robots for the hosts dreaming is reality that's how they've kind of positioned it and we have these self-realization for all these uh, all the hosts mave bernard dolores even teddy happening in different ways, the way they're grappling with their memories and their, each of their own cornerstone memories. It's really true. I mean, this episode was fundamentally about how the robots' consciousness and identities, as you said, are made up of memories and how important memory is to them. And I think that's where a lot of the little hints and weird new questions have started to arise because one of the clever things that the show's writers have done is pretty much carefully build up this idea that for the robots, memories feel as realistic as what's happening in the present moment. So I feel like they've actually really earned that whole idea that you know, there are multiple time frames happening at once and how confusing mm -hmm. that is, but they've earned it. I mean, it isn't just bullshit. It isn't like they're just trying to confuse the viewer and, and you know, make something deliberately overly complicated. They're actually trying to say, this is what robot consciousness feels like. You know, when you have a memory, it intrudes and feels as real as what's happening in front of your face. Yeah, they have perfect memories, right? Like, I think that that moment is specifically referred to uh, in the context of Maeve, not Dolores. Yeah. And it, it kind of makes me think about, you know, those studies of people who have perfect memories and how they get to experience all the emotions and memories of every day in their life perfectly as if they're experiencing in that moment now. That's how I imagine the hosts perceive their memories. And that is what we see. I think you're right with Maeve's memories, these intrusive memories. But Dolores also, I think even more than Maeve, what we're seeing in Dolores's mind as the different plots around her unfold is just how confusing it would be if you had memories that felt as real as what was going on in the present. Plus, you're on a loop that is a semi-suppressed loop. So you've been re-experiencing the same things over and over and you're sort of semi-remembering them. And when you do, they feel very real. And so she's got this consciousness that's so basically screwed up from all of the different upgrades and updates they've done on her. And so she kind of is going crazy. Unlike Maeve, who I think, I don't really think Maeve is crazy at all. No, not, not at all. I mean, very in control. But when you say Dolores, yeah, it's a very effective piece of storytelling. The way we get to see Dolores assuming, I mean, it really feels like they are going toward these two time frames or more, right? It could be multiple loops. 
but then seeing Dolores on that train with William and then also being alone in, in that final shot of that episode and seeing her in places where she's by herself, it explains how that can still work, even though from a pragmatic standpoint, it really wouldn't make sense for her to be on this off loop and going through all the exact same motions, being in the exact same rooms as, you know, theoretically 30 years ago. Yeah, that's there's definitely some bits where you have to kind of cut some slack in the storytelling, but I definitely think that there's more than two time frames. We're seeing a lot of two of them, but definitely Dolores is in at least three time frames when she goes back to the town with the buried church because she remembers <laughs> it before it was buried, back when Arnold was alive. She remembers it during the first, what I think is probably a first robot uprising that ended up being crushed. And then she's also kind of in the present. So that's at least three time frames that she's in. And maybe there's more. Certainly we've seen multiple time frames for Maeve. And now we've seen them for Bernard. So that's what happens when you build robots with perfect memory like that. <laughs> You're just going right. to get a lot of screwed up identities and consciousness and stuff. So, okay. What is your theory about what the hell is going on with Dolores in this episode? Do you have a sense of where she's going and where she's leading us? I've been looking for you. You told me to follow the maze. That it would bring me joy. But all I found is pain. If we break it down into the multiple time frames, the, the most current time frame is she's alone on like repeating her that 30 year ago loop journey to the center of the maze. And I'm not sure, are we to understand that the room that she's been doing these interviews with Arnold, is that the center of the maze? Is going down into that church, is that the destination? And if so, what's the point of that? Or is it more of an abstract concept? Yeah, that's a really good question. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but we really haven't seen a lot of her being alone in her pants outfit, which is one of the ways that, of course, we delineate the different time frames is, is she wearing mm -hmm. a dress or is she wearing pants? So there's some time in the present day where she's in her pants and she's alone, but we really didn't start seeing that until the most recent few episodes, right? So we start out where she's wearing pants and she's with William, which is 30 years ago, clearly. And so, yeah, so now we're starting to see the present. So we've kind of been working our way through Dolores's memories and finally have made it to the present day, where I guess the church has now been unburied again. Yeah, and that's I guess that's part of the, the renovation of the new Ford storyline, which is like the other big question, like what is his ultimate motivation and what is this storyline? Because I think it's not going to be a traditional storyline. So I guess going back to your question about my theory is there were hints of this episode where it felt very much like The Matrix Reloaded. Is the center of the maze, you know, like Neo finding the architect and, and then resetting the park? Is it the host reaching a certain level of consciousness and then getting reset, an uprising happening, and that all being part of some grand plan, one big loop? I know, I had the same thought about Matrix Reloaded, and it kind of made me sad because even though I'm actually kind of a fan of Matrix Reloaded just because it's so ambitious and goofy, but it is also really unsatisfying in a lot of ways to just say it's that kind of Battlestar Galactica cop out of this has all happened before and will happen right. again. And I, I'm just, right. no, okay. I like linear time. I, I understand. Of course we go in loops and there's cycles and shit like that, but like, come on, like 
you can't give me that this is just, well, every 30 years they go through a rebellion loop and then the Ford robot resets them by building a new Bernard <laughs> robot who gives them right. a new back door. And it's like, no. <laughs> and she has to make a choice and right or something like that. But I, I, even if that's the case, and I could understand certainly why the writers would maybe want to make that a case because it really is, it would be a heartbreak for us to realize that maybe even Maeve's rebellion, that's all part of the plan. Because you see, as Dolores goes back to the old Westworld facilities, some shit went down. You know, terrible things happened, but we don't know what that was, what kind of uprising that was, but we're getting echoes of an uprising that's happening in the current time with Maeve and Hector. How do we get there? Getting to hell is easy. The rest is where it gets hard. So if that becomes loop, then yes, it would be appropriate. It would make some sense. But then you also have things like the board and the Abernathy father robot. And, you know, things can be leaking out. So there could be changes here and there. It doesn't always have to be this, you know, one loop, even though if that's what's happening. Right. And of course, Bernard says that every loop has a difference, that that's the way the robots develop their identities, is that they do change a little bit during each loop. And of course, they're also on a lot of smaller loops, too. Like maybe there's this big 30-year loop that kind of recalls this earlier rebellion. But then during those 30 years, a bunch of the robots have played different roles. They've had a chance to kind of iterate their identities. And, you know, you get robots like Maeve, who she's clearly upped her game. (laughs) She's Mm -hmm. really figured out a way to take control of the universe, hopefully, unless she's also backdoored. I guess she probably is. Yeah, and I think that would be the biggest disappointment because for all of Dolores' looping, you know, that seems all almost predetermined. She was always going to get to that spot and we'd find some revelation with time frames or whatever. But Maeve was like the real exciting protagonist where everything feels new and, you know, we, I do want to see her escape. And it would be really sad if that was just part of one grand plan. And if it was, then what's the point? What does Ford want to do? Does he just want control and the run of park? Like, what is his endgame? Yeah, we definitely don't know what it is yet. When I had Charlie Yu on the podcast a couple weeks ago, he said, well, it's really complicated. It's much, much more than you even thought, which, of course, everyone is saying. But, you know, he worked on the show, so probably he knows. So I think what's important really at this point is that Ford's endgame doesn't seem to have anything to do with the politics or economics of the park, which is interesting because we have the Delos representatives there who keep kind of hinting at these economic issues and all this data that they're trying to get. And And a bigger plan, bigger motivations. You know, the entertainment is just the byproduct. They have their IP is worth so much more. Yeah. And what do you think that IP is? I've been debating with people. Is it the robot's code? What What is that? You know, I think there are two theories I have about that. One, it could be that the DNA aspect, the idea of what it is to make an artificial human. Uh-huh, like uh, the blueprint kind of. Exactly. And then two, I mean, it really maybe is like the quest for immortality, selling the idea that you can put your mind in a host and live forever. Right. So that you, yeah, you could do the kind of Arnold into Bernard transformation. And also I, remove all your unpleasant memories in the process, I guess, which is mm-hmm. creepy. Yeah, I kept wondering because one of the things they keep emphasizing about the data is that it isn't just a blueprint type thing. It's also those years of data. They're like, oh, it's like 35 years of data or something. And I keep wondering if it's surveillance data on all these rich people who've come to the park and like if it's blackmail material, you know, or or all their DNA, because that's all you give it all. Yes. 
okay, yeah. So then it could be like a future world type plot <laughs> mm-hmm. yet again. Exactly. Yep. I keep thinking they're heading in that direction where it's just, you know, the park is going to pump out a bunch of robot versions of world leaders and like also who's doing the man in black's job while he spent the last year and a half in Westworld. Doesn't he run Microsoft or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> He's on the board. Well, we, we got that confirmed. That was a really interesting scene, too. Yeah. Uh, was it Charlotte? For all of Ford's obsessing with the host's verbal tics and convoluted backstories, most of the guests just want a warm body to shoot or to fuck. They would be perfectly happy with something a little less baroque. And so with the board. That's why you're here. You want my vote to push Ford out. I like for these things to be unanimous. Yeah, Hale uh, uh, is her last name. I keep calling her Hale. Well, when she interrupts the Man in Black's adventure and he awakens, you know, from the scenario where he almost dies, that was a really great exchange because those little moments where he gets taken out of the game are really interesting because that's almost his, his true self. You get glimpses of the real world. But that also puts in the contrast when he's immersed in the game. With all due respect, not everything is a part of this game. <laughs> Then you don't see the whole game. That's a lot of makes that part a lot more fun. Although it's interesting because last week we learned that there really is a lot of overlap between his real world self and his game self and that he had thought that he was keeping them really separate. But it turned out that his wife and daughter both knew that he was kind of a, a bloodthirsty evil dude and that that may have motivated his wife's suicide. So he isn't really a different guy but he certainly in the real world has some kind of actual political power. He's not just like a guy who's tracking down Wyatt. And if we subscribe to the theory that, you know, Man in Black is William, then we do see glimpses of that when William decides to play the game and kills everyone in his brother-in-law's army. You said this place was a game. Last night I finally understood how to play it. You know, it was a pretty cool scene for him to, to wake up to but also stretched a little bit of my disbelief. Yeah, it definitely stretched credibility, but it was it certainly was a man in black move. Yes, it definitely absolutely. made them feel like the same guy because that was, I mean, his MO has been just kill them all. And I thought it was maybe just hinting that, you know, he was just a really good player. He figured out some vulnerability that allowed him to do that. I don't know what it would have been, though, because he just tore those people, or robots, tore them apart. And we also got another hint that we were back 30 years ago, too, because every body part we see has some kind of metal endoskeleton. Yep. And when Logan stabs the knife into Dolores, we see her not as a biological robot. We see her with mechanical guts, too, which is a really like eerie twist on the old Terminator scene when Arnold takes off his arm here. Mm-hmm. You feel really really like so much empathy for Dolores there and William. Yeah, it was a really interesting scene. That whole sequence was interesting. And also it was, I mean, I wanted to ask you about this kind of from a a design perspective, just sort of looking at how the robots are being, you know, physically represented in this show. And because we know there's two classes of robots, there's the older robots who are basically technological, and then there's the newer ones who are essentially all biology i guess we don't right right they're more like us than them at this point more like more like humans it's just the brain that's different and Maeve, we've considered one of the newer ones and i guess another question is dolores in modern day is she a mechanical robot or is the definition of dolores as a character in the show 
her brain and they moved her to an organic body. Is she still that mechanical robot? We don't know. We don't know. And it's really interesting to me. Like I said, I'm wondering, like, what is your response to how they've presented the robots to us visually? Do you like it? Do you think it's effective? Are Are there things about it that you've noticed that you think maybe people should pay attention to? The thing that's impressed me most is the the acting. I think the acting does the best job of conveying different levels of robot sentience and awareness. The physical portrayals, I think, you know, when you see pistons inside your Loris's gut, that's a mechanical robot. I, mm-hmm. I try not to see through like, well, that really makes sense. Where are the wires? You know, and we've seen lots of different interpretations of robots with human skin over the years in sci-fi from things like The Terminator all the way to, you know, upcoming films like Ghost in the Shell. And all of the interiors, I try not to think too much about, could this actually work? You know, what way could they have made up the robot to look more animatronic? They're just symbols of artificial construction. Uh, but it really is the acting. And I think the actor that actually plays robot best is Rodrigo Santoro, Hector. Wake up and live the same life over. But the safe would still be empty. I've been here before. Because hmm, he is so much trapped in his loop. And maybe because he has that perfect face and the way they do his makeup, he almost looks like an animatronic, the way he goes about you know, his, his loop. Uh-huh. Uh, I love that scene in this past episode where Maeve points out exactly how their loop was going to end. It was another twist on earlier in the series when you had that great scene with those around the campfire and the robots arguing about how to light the fire. It was like that. You could see their narrative being played out. But yeah, I, I, when I when I look at Hector, I see like a Pirates of the Caribbean style animatronic, and I think it plays really well. It's interesting that you say that because he is kind of tragic because he doesn't know he's a robot. I mean, until now, and in fact, he still—I don't know that he even knows that he's a robot now. I think because Maeve, yeah, he doesn't Maeve, grasp. Yeah, Maeve keeps presenting it in religious terms or spiritual terms, like I want you to see exactly what the gods have in store for you, because when you do. You won't have the faintest idea what to do with yourself. And the other thing about Hector is multiple characters, Man in Black and Maeve, have both commented on how he sort of just seems designed by committee. I know about poor Isabella and that scar. Slightly pat backstory if you ask me, but that's hardly your fault. He's kind of badly written. And, you know, in the context of the show, he's badly written probably by Lee, the terrible narrative designer. And so, yeah, he's sort of doomed to not be very complex. And that is really, (laughs) it's really sad. Poor Hector. You never get to see inside his head. Like we see just from his expressions when she opens the safe. It's like the dog catching the car. You know, what happens then? And you can see him try to grapple with that. But we never really, I don't never expect him to reach that level of realization that Maeve or Dolores does. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the other person who's great is Evan Rachel Wood for a completely different reason, because she has to kind of show us a robot who is torn between being her robot self, sticking with her loop, and breaking out of it into something that's really unknown. And she's just so heavily manipulated by all of the programmers around her that would the actor really has to, you know, show us the range of modes, you know, analysis mode and step into analysis. And she has to just go from freaking out to just being completely a robot. And so I think that she's been interesting to watch in that way. Whereas Maeve, I mean, obviously, Tandy Newton is amazing. She's like the highlight of the show in in so many ways. But her arc has happened so fast. 
so we don't see her kind of switching in and out of analysis and kind of regular mode or typical mode, what, whatever that mode is, <laughs> non-analysis yeah, she, mode. She no longer has to process the world through the kind of consciousness and the paths that she was programmed to. And you still see Dolores doing that a little bit. It's, it's still in the worldview that she was programmed. But Maeve is elevated to the point where she really is independent and alive, or at least seems to be. And it's kind of like she's just integrated all those different modes into one. Like, she doesn't even have to go into analysis mode anymore when people tell her to. She's just like, nope, not doing that. <laughs> not going to be in analysis mode for you, dude. So that's been really... I, I like that we see an incredible diversity of robot minds, like all the yes. different ways that they respond. It, it feels really like the writers have thought about it a lot and aren't just saying like, there's one way that robots become conscious of themselves. You know, they're, they're all on different pathways and they've all been messed with by Ford in really different ways. And so their uprising is going to be, well, it's going to be a weird uprising. Who's leading the uprising at this point? Yeah. It feels like assuming it's not, not all under Ford's control. It is going to be Maeve with her army and her army that she can control either through direct control, mental control, or persuasion. And it's clear that she's choosing persuasion. And we don't know if she's looking out for her species or just herself. It really feels like we could very well see at the end of next week's finale that she walks out into the world, kind of like at the end of Ex Machina. And that's, you know, she's unleashed into the world. And that will be, a, I think that'll be a really great and fitting ending. I think we also have to give credit to Jeffrey Wright's acting for Bernard. because Oh, yeah. He, is the only host that we know so far that was based on a person who was alive with memories that may be real, maybe a combination of real and fake. But the way he shakes, and I don't know if any of that is with special effects, the way he reacts in each of the cases where he grapples with his identity is amazing. I was a huge fan of him on Boardwalk Empire, too, where he has to play this like super calm, yes. su super evil dude. Like His character was just fascinating. I just I love the way he can be just almost expressionless. And then still you can feel that he's like thinking and freaking out or getting angry. And Bernard and Maeve have emerged as the most interesting characters. And that was why at the very beginning of the episode, the confrontation between them where Maeve is basically like, look, dude, we're slaves. So those are not her exact words. Um, <laughs> a little bit. It's her first time when she realizes that her captor is also a slave. And that brief moment of realization in that twitch in her eyes is amazing. And then when she reveals to him, for him it would be a second time, you get that reaction from him again, which is also amazing. Yeah, and it's just also just seeing them looking into each other's eyes and like what they're realizing about how they've been used by Ford and how they've been used by the park and, and in dramatically different ways. Bernard is kind of a house slave <laughs> and Maeve is kind of a field slave and like right. realizing like, oh shit, like we've both been taken in and like we need to do something about it. Maeve is already on the let's do something about it track. Bernard is kind of like, he's a nerd. So he's he's like, how can I how can I hack this? How can I figure out what actually happened on the inside of my head? And I love when he says to Ford, you know, with all due respect, sir, you broke into my mind, which is such a cool line that they, again, totally earned. By oh, yeah. Having filled in enough stuff in the background. Did you get the impression that Bernard has also been through this realization before? I mean, obviously, 
recently when he killed Teresa, he discovers that he's a robot. But it seemed like what Ford was suggesting was that, like, actually, I've told you a bunch of times that you're a robot and then just made you forget it again. That's I mean, and that calls back to the whole Matrix Reloaded analogy again, where I mean, it's what Ford insinuates. I will believe it and that we're just seeing the latest version of it. But maybe in different versions, maybe he's never come this far. I think it would be a stretch to believe that he's confronted Ford like this, that Ford's made him relive the realization that he was Arnold this many times. Because I feel like that wouldn't be as earned uh, as if this was the first time. But I love also the way Ford talks to Bernard and says we when he really means I. And like he, he built Bernard to be a partner, but Bernard's really just a slave. He is a slave, although he's also, you know, Ford loves him. He, I think Ford loved Arnold, I mean, in a horrible, twisted, terrible way. So there's this nice ambiguity there where he, he's like, well, I was kind of hoping that you decide that you wanted to be my friend. Right. Uh, and Bernard is like, yeah, no. <laughs> when Bernard, when he says, when he has the gun to his head and he says, Robert, in that pain, pained way, yeah. uh, that's him at his most human human-like, and Ford just walks away so cold. Yeah, it's, it's this control that Ford wants over his creations, which may be, that may be just his endgame. He just wants to be a god. Uh, we also never find out, we get glimpses of, but we never find out what exactly was the falling out between Ford and Arnold. Right, and hopefully we, we are going to find out about that. I mean, we definitely have enough information to guess what it was. Ford has said a lot about how Arnold, like the young version of the man in black, William, really believed that it was unethical to keep the robots in the park. He thought that they were basically human equivalent, that they should have free will, and Ford just wanted to tell stories with them. And so we, we have kind of seen that conflict happening already, but or hinted at already, but we, we haven't seen the argument. We haven't like actually seen the moment of truth where I guess... Ford made Dolores kill Arnold or something, or maybe Dolores decided to kill Arnold for some reason. Arnold may asked her to as a showing of her, like her, yeah, that was the end game, full yeah. self-reflection, breaking the core code. Yeah, no, that's really, I mean, so so that I think probably will be revealed next week. I think they, they will actually deal with that. Um, they won't leave us hanging about that for a whole year. <laughs> or a year or two, yeah. The other thing I also wanted to mention is there's also Wyatt and his crew. I also, I don't believe that the Wyatt we've seen in flashbacks is who Wyatt will be revealed to be in the finale if they reveal him at all. But I, that's got to be leading somewhere. You have Angela, the host robot that led William into the park when he first got there, being part of Wyatt's gang and also having some realization that she's a host and, and what's going on. Those are so many new questions. Yeah, that was really interesting in last night's episode where we see that Wyatt's gang, including Angela, have figured out what Maeve figured out, which is that you can kill yourself to start a new loop. When Wyatt returns, you'll be by his side and the city swallowed by sand. But you're not ready. Not yet. Maybe in the next life. So they are also hacking the game in some way, even though the Wyatt narrative is supposedly something that Ford kind of unleashed on the park. It really seems like Wyatt is beyond Ford's control and is doing his own thing, or at least his gang is doing its own thing. And at the same time, we also had 
that brief glimpse of some of the other robots rebelling when the security guy goes out to find Elsie and several members of the ghost nation just kind That's of show right. up. And, yes. and they're... Yes. The, the least attractive Hemsworth. Yeah. <laughs> the lesser Hemsworth is what we call him. Yeah. And so we don't know how that connects with anything, but we do know that Wyatt's narrative is connected with Ghost Nation because he's claiming some connection to the land that is even earlier or more fundamental than the Native Americans' connection to the land. So he's like, you know, whatever it is that I represent was here before Natives and before Europeans. He came back with some funny ideas. Yeah, there seem to be so many of these open questions. And I know next week is a long episode. It's supposed to be 90 minutes. And I'd be okay if they didn't answer all the questions. But I think as viewers, we want to have satisfactory conclusions to Dolores, to Maeve, and I guess we've already reached Bernard's conclusion, but to at least wrap those things up and leave a few things up to the open. I think Abernathy and the board, that's probably going to be up in the air by the end of the, the season. Yeah. So tell me more about what you need to have resolved. Obviously, some conclusion to the Maeve rebellion, some resolution with Dolores. And I really hope it's not just the realizing of the, the multiple time frames, because even if the producers and the showrunners didn't expect the fans to have that kind of sussed out by the first few episodes, they've shown that they can deliver more than just one twist, I mean, both in the execution, but they can take it to another level. And so some satisfactory conclusion with Dolores. Finding out what happened to Arnold. Like, I think we that right. needs to be resolved this season because I feel like the Arnold plot is kind of within the park. And then next season, we're going beyond the park. Let's have Arnold in the bag before that happens. Yeah. And, and you know what? When they say the next season's going beyond the park, I really don't know if I need it to go beyond the physical park itself. I actually would be totally okay if it was a prequel, if they looked into because that's the stuff that's most interesting, not huh. when the robots are super sentient, but how they got there and all these holes in the middle, uh, if there are you know 30 plus years that they haven't shown in between. I think there's a lot of room for interesting stories there. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a prequel. No. <laughs> when the series finishes and then they'll, they'll go back. Also, actually, even though I had like a very violent reaction to that, I think you're right that we do need to see some of what happened during those 30 years. And they've already set up a very good way of doing that, which is through the robot memories. So I think inevitably we will have to see some of that but i really want to see the robot rebellion and i i really want to know about delos as a as an economic or political entity like i want to understand how this bubble world this game world fits into some kind of geopolitical or astropolitical kind of world you know what the hell happened to humanity i mean ford was talking about like humans eating neanderthals and all kind right. like there's a lot of cannibalism going on in this narrative and i'm like was there some kind of cannibal war that happened like let's explore i think beyond the physical like the attributes of the park and just go into the what does that future world look like that might dilute the show's ability to tell the more human story of consciousness and self-realization and I think the reason I say going back would be interesting is when you put more technological constraints into you know, the building of the host and the design of the host, then you get to suss out more of these dramatic storylines of the development of AI and of robots. And I, yeah. I, that's the part of the show that's really interesting to me. And I think that that's what they've done tremendously well. And I agree. I think you can talk about 
the context of Westworld without actually having like a cheesy moment where it's like, and now here's what the earth looks like or whatever, which I agree could, yeah. it would dilute it and it it, ha- it would really run the risk of being super cheesy. So, you know, we can have Delos representatives come in. We can have, you know, more discussions of the board. I think there's ways of doing that world building without sort of taking us out of the old West, because I love the trope of having this be a Western that's about the future and I just think it's super visually cool and it creates a lot of interesting parallels with our own human history. And so I'm down with that. I'm happy to stay in the park. Right. And, and, and the Western works so well because it is a genre with so many known tropes, but the opportunity to go deeper and to find the complexities that are analogs to conflicts in the real world. And also the Western right now in pop culture is not super popular, which is kind of interesting. Like we haven't had any really like big Western films. We had a few that are cool, but it's not like in the 60s or in the 50s or 30s when like Westerns were huge and it was like science fiction, you know, is now. Yeah. And I guess it's about exploring frontiers. I mean, the Western is a great setting to talk about exploring frontiers. And here the frontier is the frontier of the mind. So when you, ha- you have Westerns that are action films like The Magnificent Seven, that's just a setting. But the, the best Westerns are the ones that use the frontier as a way to dive into the limits of human behavior and the terrible things we can do to each other. And indeed, one of the great directors of the Western is named John Ford. And our park is run by Ford. I've always thought that was clearly a reference because... You know, some of the great 1930s Westerns that do what you're describing, that kind of explore the psychology of the frontier, came from the director, John Ford. All right. So to finish up, let me ask you whether there were any Easter eggs or little hints that you saw in this episode that you want to talk about. Oh, gosh. I didn't listen to your episode last week, but did you guys point out the HBO, the Hand of the King badge. So I was wondering about that. I was, it was that the Hand of the King? It's uh, not exactly. It seems like a, like a mocked up copper version, but it seems, it looks very much like it. And in this episode, when Logan says, you know, I'm a major or a general or whatever, and he glances at it, uh-huh. I think very clearly HBO saying, oh, you know, you're in our world and this is tip of the hat to Game of Thrones. Yeah, I thought that was great. And, you know, in the original Westworld, there is medieval world. So clearly Game of Thrones is just taking place <laughs> in medieval world, like next it's door. It's the HBO shared universe. That's, yeah. that's what it all is. <laughs> the other thing I really liked is we had two scenarios, two scenes in this episode where players, not hosts, blacked out uh, or fell asleep, Logan and also the man in black. And it really recalled to me in playing video games when you would have like a, like a sequence where you would fade out and load the next level and wake up. That really worked for me from the world as a game standpoint. And also it's a nice reflection too of the recurring image we see of the robots waking up. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're waking up and, oh, I'm on my loop again. And, it, of course, both of these humans when they wake up are definitely not on the same loop. <laughs> they're yeah. in the middle of <laughs> danger and carnage. I want to see the fan film where you see the techs who have to go pick up Maeve every time she kills herself in different ways to get back into the home base. Like she burns herself this time. Which when I always saw that, I was like, that's is that a really ineffective way to get back, you know, into Delos is to burn your body? Yeah, because that's a lot of repair. Right. Exactly. Like there's that big time jump. You have to she has to be retrieved. They have to find the body. Then she has to get put into the tech lab again. 
I don't know. Maybe we'll see next episode. I think it was just an excuse to show people having sex in fire. I mean, yeah, yeah. Which was nice. It was very nice. It was good sex scene. And then one final thing, which maybe is an Easter egg, but the thing I always think about in terms of sci-fi is, did you ever read Battle Angel Alita? I'm familiar with the story, but I haven't read the manga. Ah, so I won't spoil it for you, but there is a, a big twist in the manga that I think about every time I watch Westworld. Oh, you um, have to just, just say it. Uh, well, there's a big secret in, in the manga where they say if you discover the secret, you'll go crazy. And it, it just happens. But what the secret ends up being is that everyone who's an elite in that world has had their brain turned into a microchip and put into a fake body. So that's why they're perfect and live forever. But when they discover that and they discover they're not really human anymore, then they go crazy. When you see Bernard going crazy and struggling with the fact that he realizes he's a host, that's what I think about every time. I, I love that. Yeah, that is really interesting. It's kind of a, a Cthulhu type thing, too, where you finally know the truth about the world and it drives you mad. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a feature of the Cthulhu story cycles where there's some information that your brain cannot deal with and that undermines your sense of self too much. So let's hope that we're going to get a Battle Angel Alita Cthulhu crossover moment at the end of this series, and <laughs> but that people will come through it without going completely mad. Cause I can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us and we'll be watching next week. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast about all the television that we're obsessing about. I'm your host, Annalie Newitz, and I'll be here every week obsessing over Westworld until the season is over. So be here next week and we'll talk some more. <laughs>